Welcome to So What Do You Think, a podcast where we discuss weird and unsolved mysteries and events and give our completely unprofessional opinion on them. I'm Jay and here with me is B. Hello. And tonight we're going to have a chat about another recent, well fairly recent case, which was very strange. And that is the case of Malaysian Airlines flight MH370. So what do you know about this case? Um, oh, gosh, I can't remember when it was. It wasn't that long ago. It went down and they just never found anything. Uh, other than that, I can't remember much more. A plane that disappeared. Yeah, the plane yeah. disappeared. They had, like, some last communication. Mm-hmm. I can't remember if it was good or bad. Um, then it just went. Excellent. So we're going in fresh. Wonderful. Okay, so let's dive in. So on March the 8th, 2014, at about 12.42 a.m., uh, Malaysian flight MH370 departed Kuala Lumpur Airport and it was heading towards Vietnam. Now, it was piloted by the captain Zahari Ahmad Shah and co-piloted by Farik Hamid. On board were 227 passengers and 12 crew. The plane itself was a Boeing 777, which is quite well known as being a trustworthy and sturdy aircraft. At the time, not much had really happened with them. So by all accounts, it was a calm night. There was no real weather events happening at the the time. So it was just a really regular everyday flight. In fact, it actually took off at the same time every day. So this was a daily thing. And everything about the first part of the flight was completely routine. Now, as the plane crossed out of Malaysian airspace and into Vietnamese airspace, what happens is it's customary for one airspace tower to be farewelled and then the next airspace tower is greeted by the pilots. So this is what was supposed to happen. So at 1.19am, it was the co-pilot, Farik, who gave the message to the Malaysian tower and his message was, all right, good night, Malaysian 370. And that was the last thing he said. So at this point, they've gone, all right, see you later. And it was expected by the Vietnamese tower that they would get a greeting message at the time. But this message never comes. They can see the plane on the radar and it's there for about three minutes and they're waiting for the greeting. Nothing happens at the time, but still no radio contact for that time. After that three minutes of silence at 1.22 a.m., the plane just completely disappears from both radars. So it's like it's just disappeared. The only way this can happen um, is one of two ways. So first of all, either the transponder is switched off and it has to be done manually. So this is the thing that communicates with the towers and it can only be switched off by somebody there in the cockpit. Or it can be if someone disabled a system called the ACAR system. And that's basically um, just a communication technology which allows satellites to be able to do the communicating as well. So the only way that can be switched off is if there is a circuit breaker in the cockpit. But that would have shut down a lot of different systems as well. It's almost like sort of pulling the plug, then plugging it back in again. Um, Everything gets restarted. So they're the two ways that the communications would have been gone and it completely disappeared from the um, radar as well. So basically someone in the cockpit has made it so that the plane can't be located. 
there were no mayday calls, no communications of any kind. It's just like it vanished into thin air. Now, strangely, no one really seems to have raised the alarm on either side at this point. And it's not until the flight fails to land in Beijing, which is where it was supposed to land. Um, it's only about an hour after it should have arrived there that anyone actually starts to worry about it. Um, so one, after, one hour after it didn't land, they look into it. They can't see it on the radar. And so they just make the assumption that it's crashed. It's like all very, all right, we can't see it. It must have gone down in the ocean somewhere. And that's sort of the end of that for that moment. Thoughts so far? I can't believe it was an hour. Yes. I don't remember that part of the story. Yeah. They would have been waiting for the hello. And yeah. They were quiet for three minutes and... If that's the regular custom. Yeah, so it's almost like a lot of things, a lot of boxes weren't ticked, but yeah. no one really thought it was weird, which in itself yeah. is quite weird to me. Yeah. But, I mean, think about it. There's just, you know, hundreds of planes flying around at any given time. Maybe. No, it's obviously it's not a, well, it's not a rule, is it, that they have to do that? It's just like the polite thing to do, like, hey, bye, we're leaving this airspace. Hey, we're in your airspace now. Yeah, I'm not sure whether it's something that they have to do, but, I mean, the fact that it is customary and didn't happen would be enough to sort of raise some red flags and then pairing it with the whole vanishing from the radar thing. You think that... Vanishing from the radar thing is very strange and I would have thought that that would be alarm bells straight away. Yes, yes. Um, so wouldn't that flight already be on their radar, so to speak? Yeah, um, exactly. And wouldn't that be... Like, hey, this is weird that you've disappeared. Yeah. Uh, we've got to keep a close eye on you and try to communicate with you at least, and they haven't tried to do that. And I, I would have thought, like, the Vietnamese tower would talk to the Malaysian yeah. tower and go, hey, have you seen such and such? Yeah. <laughs> but then for them to be, for them not to pick up for an hour or over an hour, that's a pretty long time, especially, like, you know, they need to know what's going on and who's, they, they know when people are when planes are coming in and planes are going out like it's all yeah exactly it's very, usually quite stringently monitored yeah. so at 2:22, uh so right as that hour has gone past and people have actually started to worry I suppose like they would have people waiting to pick up the passengers and that sort of thing yeah. over in Beijing going, hello, where are they? Um, you know, it's been over an hour, what's happening? So right as people were starting to worry, three Malaysian military radars pick up on an unknown, unidentified plane heading towards Penang. They don't try and communicate with it, though, which, again, very strange because <laughs> if you are a military base and you pick up a unidentified plane on your radar I just feel as though you might do something about that or at least try and communicate with it and they didn't even do that apparently according to the official um, account of things so they just watch it and eventually it flies off their radar about 370 kilometers northwest of Penang. This for me is one of the first big red flags. Um, I can kind of buy that Commercial airline towers might be busy. There's a lot of flights going on. It had only been an hour and sometimes planes are delayed, although disappearing off a radar, whole different ballgame. But to me, three separate military radars picking up an unknown plane, that I feel as though would warrant some sort of uh, action on their behalf. What do you think? Uh, very casual, way too casual about this. 
Like, I feel like the airlines being chilled out about it is enough of a concern as the person who flies, um, who yeah. uses airplanes for transport. <laughs> Not that we've uh, been able to do that for a while, but but then for the military, <laughs> I wouldn't have very much confidence in my country's military if they're just like casually letting a unidentified aircraft fly through without trying to figure out who it is or try and make contact. That's a bit yeah. a bit weird. It is a bit weird. And, um, yeah, I think we'll put a pin in that for later for when we talk about theories. So the plane, once it flies off that radar, those military radars, it never shows up again. And really all we can do is go on assumptions after that. And a lot of experts have sort of looked into it and weighed in on, in on it and, and all of that. But based on the info we have, the consensus is that it probably just kept on flying um, and then went down in the southern Indian Ocean because it ran out of fuel after about seven hours because they knew that it had about seven hours worth of fuel on board. So they just think that it's just sort of flown out into the ocean and eventually crash landed and that's the end of that. There was an initial search around Malaysia, but nothing was found. And there's been quite extensive subsequent searches um, that are focused on the Indian Ocean between yeah. Africa and Australia, but, but in quite a condensed area. Um, it's kind of almost like this strip that goes along um, closer to Australia than Africa. And they've they've looked quite a lot in that area and not really too much has been found at this Did time. something wash up? Yes, yes. So we'll get to that. Yes. Some weirdness was discovered. When they looked at the radars, when it still was showing up on the radars before it disappeared, it showed that the plane went up to 45,000 feet just inexplicably, just went right up really, really high. That's quite high for a passenger plane. So that would have caused everyone to pass out. And it would have had to have been that the captain would have had to have turned off the depressurization system so that they could do this because there's a lot of checks and balances that go into a plane to prevent everyone from just passing out altogether because that's sort of the last thing you want. There would have had to have been someone turning off the depressurization system. All of a sudden, plane goes up to 45,000 feet, then comes back down again, and they don't really know why that happened. It's interesting to note that a Boeing 777 needs to be pre-programmed. So it's not like, you know, when you see these smaller planes and you've got the pilots sitting there with the steering wheel in their hands and they can sort of fly it around like you're playing a video game. It's actually more that you pre-program a route. And the only way that you can change the course is to overwrite the system. And you actually need to know what you're doing to overwrite the system. It's not like you could have just seized the controls and taken off towards Penang. It needed to be a bit more complicated than that. Searches have been very extensive, like I said, but essentially fruitless. The only things that have been found, like you said, yes, they did find some debris. They found 33 pieces of debris, and these have been decided that they might come from the plane, and they have washed up in Mauritius, Madagascar, Tanzania, and South Africa. What they're basing this might thought on is that they look like they might have come from a Boeing 777. Uh, but really there's only one piece that is, is quite likely from that plane because it actually has a serial number on it. Now, it's not the serial number from MH370, but it is a serial number from a Boeing 777. And apparently all other Boeing 777s in the world are accounted for. So they've just got to assume that this is the one that's missing. It has to have been from it. 
the piece of wreckage that was found that they think is from that plane is called a flaperon, and it's basically a piece of the wing. Not the phalanges? Not the phalanges, no, the flaperon. It sounds very specific. Yeah. It's like, what do you do, little part? I flaperon. <laughs> I okay. flapper on the wing. <laughs> um so, yeah, obviously experts have seized on this piece of wreckage and they are, like, all over it because they just want to get every little bit of information out of it. But it's quite unremarkable. And the interesting thing about it, actually, is that there's not really much to see. It's not wrecked. It's Although it is a section of the wing, it is intact. And there have been quite a few experts that have got together and some of them have said, well, this shows that the plane didn't run out of fuel and it didn't get ditched. Because if it had of, it would be in bits. It would be like compressed into a pile of metal. It wouldn't all just be intact. There's obviously um, opinions either side as far as the experts go. And some of them go, no, no, there's no evidence that the plane didn't ditch. But the people that actually are experts in this have said, no, it would definitely be wrecked. It'd be totally wrecked. So this makes you think the plane wasn't wrecked. So if it didn't run out of fuel and it wasn't ditched, as a suicide attempt, which is one of the main theories, then it landed. That's really the only other options. Make of that what you will, I suppose, you know. How, why would, would you land? Landed? And where would the people be? Yes, exactly. Exactly. So one extra little interesting tidbit that I will say before we get into theories is that when they looked into the two, the pilot and the co-pilot, they really, really looked into them and they went to their homes and they checked things out. So what yeah. most pilots have are flight simulators in their house. They're these great big expensive machines and basically let them practice flying when and they're at home. Didn't one of them have some weird stuff on his... There was weird yeah. stuff and that's the thing I was going to say. Um, Captain Zahari had a route programmed landing in the Indian Ocean. So not landing on a landing strip, landing in the Indian Ocean in water. To me, that's not really something that you'd practice, not something that you'd like get geared up for unless you were sort of thinking maybe I'll have to do a, a um, emergency landing or something and this is me trying to control it. But it was just very weird and very coincidental that he had programmed that right before he took this flight. So, yes, thoughts so far. Where did they land? Yeah, well, that's the question, isn't it? Yeah, they yeah, reckon uncharted territory that we don't know about. Well, look, the ocean somewhere that we so don't know big. about. Yeah, the, the the ocean is so big, especially out there in the Indian Ocean, that really, and it's deep as well. So, I, you know, it might just be in a really, really deep part of the ocean, and we'll never see it. But people do argue that you would see something like every other time a plane has gone down and crashed. There's seats, there's the bits of foam that come off the seats and luggage and things that float. So you would expect to see that sort of stuff land somewhere. And, I mean, it's been, what, seven years, six years? So, you know, you'd think that someone would have seen something by now. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. The first theory, the, the most common theory, is that it was pilot suicide. And a lot of people do look to Captain Zahari, especially given the whole flight simulator thing. And Was there questions on his mental health? There was questions about it, but 
no one could really ascertain and they do know that he was having some marital problems and that was one of the theories actually so one of the theories was that he wanted to go and start a new life with some mistress somewhere because he was muslim he couldn't get a divorce but this is wildly speculative the journalist called earl higgins actually wrote an entire book about this theory it's called the hunt for mh370 and his theory was that the captain Zahari parachuted out of his out of the plane and met his secret lover who was waiting on a boat. <laughs> and he bases this because he says that somebody told him um, that he wanted to leave his wife, but obviously because of the Muslim thing, he couldn't do it. So he speculates that he got a fake ID. He killed the passengers with the depressurization and then he jumped out and he went to his new life. So <laughs> I mean, to me, that just sounds a little bit crazy. Yeah, that's a I don't know. Yeah. I mean, if you want to leave your wife legitimately, then maybe there are better ways to do it than killing over 200 people. I don't really think that the God that you believe in, whoever, whichever God that may be, would be overly happy with you, one, committing adultery, and two, killing a whole bunch of people so you can continue to commit. Yeah, that's it. And even just thinking about the practicalities of this theory, like, for starters, how easy is it to open the doors of a Boeing 777? Like, is it the sort of thing where you can just open a door when it's mid-flight so you can jump out? And, like, out in the middle of the Indian Ocean there, like, it's a pretty big target. Like, you'd want to be pretty accurate with where you were going to land in the middle of the night and it was dark. be accurate. Yeah. How accurate is your parachuting going to be? (laughs) Yeah, it's a big risk that you might end up just out in the middle of the ocean somewhere. So I think I'm willing to put that theory aside. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let's just strike that one off the board completely, I think. Like whatever your beliefs are aside, there are other ways to get out of your marriage. Y- yeah, much easier ways that don't <laughs> require that level <laughs> yeah. of planning. Yeah. Okay, so the second theory is that it was all accidental and there was just an accidental depressurization and what they call a ghost plane situation. This sort of posits that something happened within the plane and all of a sudden everyone just passed out. So the captain and the co-pilot included, they just all passed out and the plane basically flew itself until it crashed. Obviously, the problem with this is that the plane changed its course at some stage, which, like we said, it can't do unless it's programmed. Okay, if this had happened and it stayed on the radar and it just sort of moved towards nothingness in the same trajectory, maybe we might think about it. But I think the fact that it changed its direction really does say something about that theory to me anyway. What do you think? I still don't... get how so obviously it can change direction if they've set it that way Mm -hmm. um I still don't really I just can't get my head around no one picking up on this and the fact that the military were involved in this and that it just so it comes it goes off the radar and then comes back onto the radar but a military radar yeah military radar yeah and then just gone again, like no other military radar picked it up. The whole radar thing is very strange, yeah. And I feel like if this all happened very fast and all of a sudden everyone was passed out, they wouldn't have time to 
turn off the locator to you know do all of the things that they needed to do pre reprogram the route completely like they're not things that just happen automatically I don't think yeah this is like it's a it, it's planned like you can't yeah, that's it yeah I mean look I'm not a plane expert but <laughs> I've watched enough air crash investigations to know to know that you're an expert now Come yeah on. that makes me an expert basically <laughs> yeah so I I'm not a fan of this theory either Let's move on to the third theory. So third theory is that the plane was was hijacked. Now, after the after 9-11, that whole event led to them developing some sort of technology where the plane can be programmed from another location. So the government can seize control of a plane and reprogram it from down on the ground. Some have said that this might be um, less of a hijacking, actually, and more of a hacking. So someone's actually hacked into the system and made it change for whatever reason. And people who like this theory have even said that when the plane manifest came out, it actually didn't make sense and didn't add up and suggested that there was extra cargo on the ship. People sort of say maybe there was something secret on there, maybe it could have been getting diverted somewhere else and that's why it was hacked or slash hijacked and they've sent their cargo somewhere that way. But to me, like, you're killing a whole lot of people to do it. I just feel like there would be easier ways that drew less attention because they had to have known how much attention they were going to get as well. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't really like this theory either. Although it could be a component of what all happened, but... I just think if you're going to hijack a plane or hack a plane to get some sort of weird, mysterious cargo somewhere, then you would probably not do it when there are that many people on it at the same time. You know, there are other types of planes. There are cargo planes. There are smaller passenger planes. I don't know. I'm not an international smuggler, so probably not my wheelhouse. Yeah, I, um, I do wonder what was on the plane. Yeah, the whole manifesting is a bit strange. Hacking, um, I feel like everything's meant to be much safer these days. Well, how it's not supposed to be hackable. In, yeah, how could they hack into it without actually, without anyone picking up on it? Mm, exactly, exactly. So, yeah, that, that is one of the theories anyway. Um, another theory was that the plane went down due to a fault. So much like the whole accidental depressurization thing, there might have been some other sort of mechanical fault going on there. One thing that does back this up is that apparently people were starting to find cracks in Boeing 777s uh, in the months prior to this. And there had been a few warnings saying that, you know, you can't fly these planes because there's potentially cracks that are going to cause depressurization and that sort of thing. So this is why people go down the whole fault thing. I just feel like if there was that sort of fault, though, you'd have time. The um, pilots would have had time. And just think about it, like you've got literally three minutes from when the co-pilot says goodbye to disappearing off the radar. Three minutes isn't a long amount of time for something catastrophic to happen and, you know, communications to go down and that sort of thing. So, And would that be the sort of fault that would cause it to cause the plane to disappear? Disappear and, and also change its trajectory. We always have yeah. to remember that if you're going with the accidental theory, whichever one it might be, 
you've somehow got to build into that the fact that this plane has just completely changed trajectory all on its own, So, which isn't possible. Someone has to have done that, whether it be in that cockpit or from down on the ground if they've hacked us. So the whole accident theory doesn't make sense to me just based on that, really, the whole change in trajectory thing. Yeah, yeah. Another theory was that the plane was shot down by someone or maybe some military. Um, so there's a couple well, of... Well, that uh, has happened. It happened. Yeah, yeah, it happens, yeah. absolutely. It yeah. happened in the, with the plane going through Russian airspace? Yep. exactly. So they were quick to say that it was um, not their military, it was... Oh, yeah, um, well, of course it wasn't their military. The fighters. You're not going to say, oh, yeah, sorry, whoops, are they? Out, out of... Out of you know, all of the militaries and the, all of the governments, and I'm not exactly going to buy into what the Russians say. <laughs> Look, I'm I'm not going to speculate. I'm just going to say, mm-hmm, righto. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's actually um, quite a few eyewitnesses that perhaps back this theory up. So quite interestingly, now the first man to have claimed that he, mm-hmm. he claimed to have found the wreckage in the Indian Ocean a few miles south of Round Island, which is an island just off Mauritius. Um, He said that he found it in an area that had never been searched before. He said that when he found it, he he found that it was full of bullet holes. Now, the Civil Aviation Authority of Malaysia actually looked into this. They thought it was quite credible and they looked into it, but they said, oh, it wasn't that plane, different plane, which leads me to say, which plane was it? You know, which plane has been shot down from the sky? Sorry. Wrong plane, guys. Just another one with a whole bunch of bullet holes in. Don't worry. Yes. I don't know how credible this this guy is and how he actually knew it was MH370, but the fact that the government actually looked into it. Any plane floating around in the Indian Ocean. Yeah. That's the ocean that I swim in. Yeah. The fact that there's any plane wreckage parts with bullet holes just floating around and, like, yeah. People are just casually being like, sorry, no, that's a different one that they shot down. Yeah, that's it. Another man, he was a French former airline director. He also suggested the plane was shot down, but shot down by American fighter jets. And that's because they thought that it had been on a trajectory to attack a US military base called Diego Garcia. Uh, And that is actually a military base in the Indian Ocean. It does exist. Based on some of the route recreations, it does look like the plane could have been heading in that general direction. This guy said that he'd been warned by a British intelligence officer when he was looking into it to stop looking into it because it was too risky. So he had been warned away. America. Yeah. So look, I'm not going to say that... That's definitely what happened, but I think that we need to give it a little bit more thought than some of the other theories. Now, speaking of Diego Garcia, we have our next theory, and this one really intrigued me when it first came out because I was like, oh, my God, this is it. This is what happened. Oh, my God, it's a conspiracy. And Oh, I love a good conspiracy. I know, I know. I love a good conspiracy. And I loved it at first because, like, every every time someone would put something about it on YouTube or on some sort of social media, it'd just get deleted immediately. So I was like, big brother's watching, Uh, gotta be it, it's it. (laughs) If they're deleting it, there's a reason. So anyway, it's a bit of a crazy story. So basically 
it centers around Diego Garcia and um, the air base, oh, sorry, the military base that's on that island. Now, a photo emerged in the early days of the search and it came from the phone of a man called Philip Wood. It was, the photo was entirely black. There was, it was not actually a photo of anything, but he somehow uploaded it to the internet along with the following message. I've been held hostage by an unknown military personnel after my flight was hijacked in brackets, blindfolded. I work for IBM and have managed to hide my cell phone in my ass during the hijack. I've been separated from the rest of the passengers and I am in a cell. My name is Philip Wood. I think I have been drugged as well as I cannot think clearly. So this came out and they actually looked into the EXIF info from the photo, which shows his location, his GPS location at the time. And the EXIF info actually puts him at Diego Garcia military base with those coordinates. And what's more, they actually looked into the flight manifest and found that there was a man called Philip Wood on the flight. When this first came out, I was all over it because it sounds very conspiracy theory. And also, as I said, they were deleting it. So obviously there was something behind it. However, I have to disappoint everyone and say that it has since come out that where it first appeared was on a site called 4chan. Do you know what 4chan is? I've heard of it. It rings a bell. It's basically like an every, every anything goes site. I don't know that it's around anymore, but back then it was around and it's basically a site known for anonymous content where nothing's off limits. So you go in anonymously, you don't have to say who you are, and you can basically say whatever the hell you want to whoever the hell you want. It's a bit of a not so serious website. So to me, why would he upload it to 4chan? Yeah. You know, like obviously it sounds to me like it was just a, a joke. And then someone also came out and said that the EXIF information is actually able to be altered quite easily if you've got the right software. How would you find out the flight logs, like who was on? Could you find that yeah. out? Yeah, I don't know whether they were published in the media early on. Oh, or have they been released by then or I wonder? Or maybe, you know, it could have even just been someone who knew somebody who knew somebody. Said, oh, I had a mate, Phil, who was on that flight. He worked yeah, for Yeah, I'm sold on that already. I was getting excited. I know. It sounds like a really great theory. Then it would be what, what were they hiding on that plane? Yeah, and, and why is it worth basically killing i mean you'd have to kill all the passengers once they got there right yeah they've landed them there and they've taken them all off then what have they done with them it's a bit of a like it's crazy it's a crazy theory and it's a bit scary at the same time Mm. one really interesting thing was though when they looked at the captain's flight simulator he had also programmed a route to diego garcia military base and i don't know why he would need to do that because only military planes land there as far as I know so another little tidbit of "Mm, okay what was going on here yeah I really liked this theory when it first came out but just because of the whole 4chan thing makes me sort of think uh yeah I don't know I don't know next theory was that it was a Malaysian government cover-up five separate witnesses back this theory up first of all we have got a few sightings that happened around the time where the plane would have been flying over Malaysian airspace. First guy, New Zealand oil worker called Mike McKay. He was working on an oil rig near Vietnam and he saw a plane on fire ascend at first, so went right up high in the air, just like we know that this plane did. 
but then it appeared to fall down again. Some people have sort of said that it could have been the pilot attempting to put the fire out by flying really, really high in the air where the air is quite thin and then sort of coming back down again. So, but this is what this guy saw and it would have been exactly about the same time where the plane was flying in that area. Mm -hmm. Second uh, witness said that, uh, and this was a person called Latif Dalila, who was a passenger on another flight and she looked out the window of her her plane and saw another plane and it was just sort of sitting on the surface of the water around a similar time at, in the same place that this other guy saw it. It's almost like someone's seen the first bit, someone's seen the second bit, now this plane is just sort of laying on the water. Third person, Catherine T, an English sailor, she saw a burning plane while near Phuket. She also saw two smaller planes high up in that time following that plane. I think things start to sort of come together here at this point. Then finally there was two Malaysian fishermen who saw a plane come down in that area at that time also. So they saw it actually crash, which sends you to the question, was it MH370 or was it a different plane? Was there another plane getting shot down by two smaller planes at the time? Would we know about that? Or was it this flight that this had happened to? I mean, you've got to think to yourself, you've got this situation where you've got a plane approaching uh, three separate military radars and they apparently did nothing about it. And then you've got people witnessing the plane on fire, followed by two smaller planes. Maybe they did do something about it. Yeah. This is probably the most compelling theory to me. If you believe this, though, you've got to buy into a whole government conspiracy cover-up situation because, yeah. I would. They're covering their behinds. They made a mistake. Yeah, <laughs> and and they don't look like the bad guys. So, no, yeah. we don't know anything. Oh, but we did see a random uh, plane come on. Th- three different military bases picked up on it. But we didn't do anything about it. Well, that's yeah. very unmilitary of you. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, look at look to the the one that happened over um, Russian airspace got shot down. Oh, it wasn't the government. It wasn't the government. It wasn't our military. It was guerrillas. Yeah, that's and, it. The scapegoats. Yeah. You, know, you gotta. And we live in a different time. Like maybe they didn't want to have that into them because of you know terrorism and all of this sort of stuff you know people will stop flying with them all, all of these different things can potentially come into play because yeah. you know of the fear yeah um that we all have you know they've kind of gone well oh, this isn't going to be good for us you know media wise and yeah and you got to ask like was the plane really seen for 370 kilometres on that military radar whilst they did nothing about it. Like, they could easily just say that. Oh, yeah, it just sort of sat there in the air until it flew out of our zone and then that was the end of it. Like, maybe it didn't fly in that direction at all. It was just taken down and that's the story that we've been fed after that. So you've got to sort of put it all together and, and come up with something, don't you? So, yeah, so they're the theories. So what do you think? Um, I'm going towards what we've just talked about, that yeah. it was a cover-up. Yeah. It was a mistake and we're trying not to be held accountable for it because it's going to make us look bad. Yeah. Look, I would probably Which agree. Which you kind of get because when you make a mistake and it's a bad one, you don't want the blame. But we're talking about people's lives here, so... Yeah. 
especially in the military like if the mil- for the military to mess up that bad is that yeah. further situation it's not just yeah. the military it's the government it's the country as a whole sort of getting the finger pointed at them yeah so, that's it don't and want look- that reputation whereas like with the you know I've referred to it a few times now the Russian one they're yeah. like yeah Russia so what <laughs> it happens yeah that's it so yeah no um I agree and I think that that's as close to a conspiracy theory that might actually be true that that is around at the moment you know allegedly let's not get in trouble but uh there's a lot of question marks over what happened there and the fact that five separate people saw something similar that pointed towards a plane having been taken down by two smaller planes and then landing on the water that to me says that something happened out there whether it be to this plane or a different plane either way like we've not heard about it definitely possible now the 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 only thing that I'm going to sort of have as my wild card is that if it's not the whole Malaysian government conspiracy thing we do have to entertain the idea that this was a suicide mission suicide plus mass murder mission I would say which is very extreme and I don't like to think that there are people out there who have been having very highly regarded jobs and are very intelligent people and are very well respected. Then all of a sudden they just wake up one day and go, I'm going to kill a whole bunch of people. Uh, I don't like to think that that happens. But what I do note is that communications were turned off. Why were the communications turned off? Why did they disappear from the radar? flight pathway like although you know we're sort of like settling on this cover-up theory yeah it doesn't, doesn't necessarily explain the change of flight path and it's, maybe it is a combination of the two maybe that's exactly it, it. yeah maybe yes. it was him going you know what I'm over it and then he's had his little thing he's done his little plan and he's changed his flight flight paths and he's done all of yeah. that and then the military have come along and Whoops, the daisy. Yeah, SARS. Something interesting, though, that nobody else has really picked up on that stood out to me straight away was that it was actually the co-pilot that made the last communications. To me, if the communications happened and then they disappeared from the radar immediately, he was the one in the cockpit. So a lot of people are quick to say, oh, you know, they the pilot kicked the less experienced co-pilot out of the cockpit and locked him out and then he did what he had to do and he depressurized and put everyone to sleep la 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 but really I mean it was it was the co-pilot that was in the cockpit when he said goodbye so let's not rule him out I feel could have been his suicide mission why hasn't he been looked into more you know I just I feel like nobody sort of has looked into him or focuses on him so yeah. so yeah I think that potentially this was some sort of suicide mission but yeah I feel as though and look, I really, really want it to be phone up the ass feel <laughs> because yeah. that theory just is cool. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I just feel as though this is definitely something else going on here. So. I do feel like it's probably going to be one of those ones as well that we'll just never know. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. All right. Well, I think that's it for tonight. So thank yeah. you, everybody. We will see you again next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.